Hello, hello, kids, and welcome to another episode of My Spooky Gay Family. I am your resident spooky drag queen, Pissy Miles. And I am your resident spooky drag queen, spooky sister, Sam Baxter. And, and this, this is, is My, my spooky, spooky Gay, gay Family. Guys, this is, uh, I can't even tell you how excited I am for this episode. We have been planning this for hours. It has been, <laughs> it has been a long time coming. We have, we have actually been, attention span is. literally <laughs> by the, by the moment. That's basically how this goes. We have actually been talking about having some guests on the show for a little while, kind of behind the scenes. I know we haven't talked about it much, but I'm very excited to be, uh, inviting some some new guests with us today we have two people who are not blood relatives on my spooky gay family you, you can be this distant cousins right. for today yeah you are actually no kathy kelly was the first but there's more than one of them this time yes this is the first time we have two non-related siblings on the same episode uh uh, you're siblings now, I guess. I just, exactly, I, yeah. I decreed it. <laughs> We're the we, original Grady sisters. <laughs> this, uh, this is a really cool episode because we have Tyler Jensen and Roman uh, Kimienti. Oh, wow. Did yeah, I get it right? Yeah, yeah, yeah you did. Uh, listen, cool. I meant to ask you before we started recording and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to trust my Italian ragu blood <laughs> and, and guess that I know what I'm talking if about. You can, if you can get the first... The k, yeah, the hard k, and the rest of it is fine. It flows people, like a Chianti, you know. Do people call you Chimienti all the yeah, time? Yeah, they do. But What's, you know, I I don't even need the last name. It's you're, just Roman. You're just Roman. It is because I I'm usually waiting to talk, so like all that is just killing time. <laughs> you know? so, but you did a fabulous job. I I'm doing that. everything I can. I'm kind of surprised. <laughs> I'm I'm usually dumb as a bag of rocks, so I'm glad that I got your name right. We have Tyler Jensen and Roman Kimienti mm. today. They are the directors of Scream Queen: My Nightmare on Elm Street, which is a documentary that uh, has just come out. And it is about Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and uh, specifically Mark Patton and his experience filming and after uh, filming Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you for having us. Yes, I'm, we're very you. excited to have you. I, I wanted to start off and, and just we're going to jump right in. Is that okay? Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> put, on, put on your swimsuits. <laughs> I got my waders on. Huh? Your waders. Oh, my goodness. I never thought I would be old enough to, to say waders and not feel stupid. <laughs> what is that? The time is still coming. Waders? They're those those like they're, they're like suspenders. They're like those long rubber pants. Right? Yeah, they're like long johns, but they're made of rubber. <laughs> gotcha. Um, it's on Recon. <laughs> just look for it. Yeah, we'll we'll be on Amazon Prime right after this to show you. We'll get you a set. Uh, so let's let's jump right in. How do you two? How did you two come together? Oh come on, Tyler. Oh okay. So. <laughs> We're both uh, freelancers. Uh, I primarily edit. He primarily does sound. And we met working on a gay dating reality show. 
<laughs> I was coming in to like re-edit it. He was doing the score for it. Was it the last season of RuPaul's Drag Race? No. <laughs> I'm a bad gay. I missed the last season. Did you? It's it's okay. I got I got drag race fatigue. I couldn't do like all stars and the new season back to back. I know. I need a break. You need a break. I need a break. <laughs> all stars came first. I'm sorry. It took my attention. Um, so we're working on this gay dating reality show, and I overhear him talking with the producer. He's like, "Oh, I'm going to start." Working on this documentary, it's about Mark Patton from Nightmare on Elm Street Two. I was I was hunting for a partner to work <laughs> with me, and like instantly my ears perked up. Yeah, and I'm like I hadn't even talked to him. Like we were literally sitting next to each other as we are right now. He was like all shy and like nerdy over a computer, and I'm like blah blah blah. I'm doing this movie. <laughs> Who's gonna help me? And I thought like this guy knows what he's doing with the camera. Like could he? You know, and he he was he had more experience. But I, li- no. I didn't say anything. I just lifted up my T-shirt and I showed him my Freddy phone tattoo from Nightmare on Elm Street. You have a Freddy phone nice. tattoo? I sure do, with a tongue sticking out. And it's like my litmus test. If we I... were filming, I'd make you take your shirt off right now. <laughs> I'd do it just for I'd you. turn into Jasmine Rice LaVeja so fast. It's Everyone's seen it. You can just look it up online. Right. Is right. it online? No, I'm joking. Well, oh, somewhere. I was like, I was like Twitter, listen, I have a Tumblr. Twitter. <laughs> Gay Twitters all over. Probably. I love that. So you didn't know each other at all when you no. first came together. And you just went up to him and were like, hey, I'm making this Well, we were working this close to each other this whole time, but not really speaking to each other because we each had different... There was like too many different departments all doing their thing at once. Mm-hmm. And so then when he showed me that, I was like, oh, fuck everybody else. This guy gets it. You <laughs> yeah, know? No, like, it was like my... I'm a nerd and I'm that kind of nerd. So whatever you're doing, I need to be a part of it. I don't blame you. Yeah. Are you both crazy like horror fans? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can have a Freddy phone tattoo and not be. <laughs> I assumed. I was like I was like maybe he just likes really like subtle gay homages in horror. <laughs> it's, right, it's a very right. niche <laughs> joy. No, we definitely have our preferred taste, but we definitely <laughs> love horror. Like we can we could talk about stupid little details and we know what we're, you know. To each other, and we yeah. get it. We have I a love shorthand. That. Sure. We we have the same thing, but it's like we have it with horror movies and with gay movies. So we could probably mm-hmm. like start at the beginning of the Birdcage and just work our way to the end. What's your favorite gay movie? <laughs> oh, mine is the Birdcage. That's my favorite movie of all time. Of all I mean, time. All time. Wow. Okay. Yes. I mean, but I'm a cheerleader, but that's because it's the only funny mm. lesbian one. <laughs> mm. oh. oh my god, that's hard. I would probably go with Girls Would Be Girls. I think I oh. saw that in high school, and I just fucking devoured it and watched it every day for six months. It is a good movie. What's yours? I don't. I don't know. You you started this whole I thing. No, I don't have an to, answer. I'm trying to get ideas. get tips here. I don't, I'm trying to figure out like we're going to start writing them down. That. Game. Well, I mean, I don't know. Well, I'll come back to you with that before we leave. Are you more like like cult movies that have been taken by the gays or like specifically Probably. gay movies? Probably. I think my all time favorite movie is Welcome to the Dollhouse. Oh yeah. Oh, I, mean, I don't so think scary. I've ever seen it. <gasps> How have you never seen Welcome to the Dollhouse? Uh, listen, this is so exciting because you're going to go home and watch it and your <laughs> life is going to change. Yeah. I'm going to message you after I'm done and be like, oh my God, there's what have be, I been missing? It's going to be an email I get from you soon. Right. <laughs> oh, it is just my favorite movie. this in the mirror for like 45 minutes. <laughs> it doesn't make sense now. To be fair, I have heard that reference before, but I, I have never actually seen the movie. Right. Um, 
I, when I say like we like the like culty movie, we like like Clue mm-hmm. and, oh, yeah. and like those, that era of, of gay movie. I mean, Tim oh, Curry makes sure. every movie gay. That's fine. Just by default. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite horror movie besides, I mean, obviously we know you like Nightmare 2. Right. Right. Do you have a favorite horror movie? You got to start this. Okay. I gotta, yeah. I, gotta think about it. <laughs> I like, I like, um. Like Poltergeist two, and I love mm. Phantasm, and I love the the supernatural ones. I was gonna say lot. you love those like eighties supernatural mm. kind of strangely ethereal movies. Oh yeah, the darker, <laughs> the grittier, the weirder, the better. Not so much slashers. Yeah, more than uh, like I identify with Carol Ann a lot. I always say because <laughs> she was just like poor girl had no friends. Mm. She had a lot of toys. She's also like four. Okay, so was I at one time. You know, like it's, I get. Do you have a, a bustling social network at four? Well, I, listen. Anyway, what's yours? <laughs> <laughs> I would say uh, mine. We go back and forth on this all the time. Mine is either the original Halloween, mm-hmm. uh, right. because, because we, I am a slashers person. I love Mikey, mm-hmm. and I love uh, Scream. As right, like the right. kind of updated '90s version of Halloween. Oh, I, actually, yeah, I saw Scream first, and then did you? I was already a horror fan when that came out, and I snuck in to the theater with my best friend from sixth grade, <laughs> <clears throat> and we were the only people in the theater. It was surprisingly like it you had, snuck into the theater in sixth grade right, to watch right. Scream in like a matinee on a Sunday, <laughs> two o'clock in the afternoon. It Which, was in February too, and I remember this because it was. It was held over for so long. Like, that movie stayed in the theater because it was this, like, cult hit. It was supposed to just be a bomb, and it just kept getting better and better every weekend. So by February, it was still in theaters. It was still in my hometown of Maple Grove, Minnesota. (laughs) And his parents dropped us off. We bought a ticket for something else and then snuck into the movie. And I was so terrified before the movie started, because I knew I was going to get really scared. <laughs> and after that first scene, you're like, I don't know if I should stay here. Like, <laughs> we're in at this empty theater, and, you know, I survived. And it, Thank goodness. It scarred me in the best way possible. That was 1996? Uh, so this 97. is 97. Yeah. February 97. And then that... Later that year, Scream 2 came out, and my older sister took me to see it, and I was dressed in a full-length ghost, ghost face. face. <laughs> I'm just imagining night, this, like, like... Opening night. So the and opening scene of Scream 2 must exactly, have been like, really I had, fun for you. I had, <laughs> I had gone online. I had read the opening like script pages. I knew it was coming. I was that kid in the theater at 12 years old. Just being like, so you were 12 years old wearing a full ghost face costume. Yes. I'm just imagining this like little... like like short little person wearing like their dad's Halloween costume. Right, right. <laughs> yes. And then I I love my sister so much for doing that because if I was in her shoes, I would be so fucking embarrassed. Like, oh, that kid's with me. But now, <laughs> like, you see every other, like, um, movie franchise gets to have their nerds and they have their midnight screenings and they dress up in costume. Like, everyone's in a Harry Potter robe or they're, yeah. they're bringing their lightsaber to the theater to see Star Wars and it's like we as horror fans never really got that but I made it my priority well, mostly because the props are banned in most movies <laughs> true, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, our, our props I, are a little different I did have a plastic <laughs> knife and this Fair. was I think this was before Columbine I think that was 
Yeah, because like turning point. Of not to get too dark. That it was. It was about. It was probably about. God, if it came out later in 1997, it was probably only like a matter of months. Right. I think. Well, Columbine was 99, so. Right. Oh, I thought it was yeah. 98. Yeah, no, it's 98. Because in. I was the, so young, I can't remember. The, the span of like Scream 2 coming out between Scream 3, Columbine had happened, and suddenly they were cracking down on R rated movies for children. Mm. And it was more. I was still a teenager, like 13 years old. So That's... I remember that being like the, the, the shift. Like, oh, we're not going to make these movies for kids anymore. Hmm. And that's how you ended up with a fucked up bunch of 30-year-olds right, today. Right, right. <laughs> I, I was like you, but 10 years prior. Okay. I mean, I didn't wear any costumes, <laughs> but we were sneaking in the theater to see, like, Child's Play 2. And so good. I saw Nightmare 4 and 5 and all that. Like, so at that time... <laughs> We were the we were the young kids in the audience, and it was so taboo, you know. And I was like, "Oh, am I going to make it through this movie?" And right. you know, I remember the very first Elm Street. Like after that opening with Tina flying yeah. around the room, I'm like, "Okay, wait, we need to pause," <laughs> <laughs> because I was by myself watching oh it. And were I was, you really? Yeah, and I think I was like, uh, I don't know, eleven, in the dark by myself. Not even in a theater, like just in a house alone. Right. I, I remember the first time I watched The Exorcist. Uh, I was probably about like 11 or 12 years old. And you were not home. And at the time, I shared... <laughs> <laughs> I shared it's your it's imp- No, it's important to the story. It usually is. <laughs> it's important to the story. I, I used to share a room with our two brothers, Bob and Kevin. And so Sam had her own room. And so... I was like, Sam's out. I'm going to go in Sam's room and like turn off all the lights and watch The Exorcist because I was like, how was was it just on TV? We had a we had a VHS. Oh. Okay. Uh, a, a VHS le- a for legit those of you. VHS or like a pirated one that you take No, it was legitimate. No, it was a legitimate VHS okay. and I watched it and it was the best worst idea I've ever had in my entire life because it was like it was when they updated it and they put all oh, the like yeah. the faces yeah. and things yeah, in it. And the spider walk. <laughs> the spider walk was mm. in it. It was I have never been so terrified in my fucking life. It was horrifying. Genius movie. How Beautiful. many siblings in your family? We are five. Five? Older, younger, younger, older? older Sam is far him. older than me. Okay. So <laughs> I have Rude. five sisters. <laughs> every episode. It has nothing to do with Every ever. episode I ask her how old she is. Right. I got five <laughs> sisters and three brothers. And Wait, you have what? I have five sisters and three brothers. I'm Jesus. the third oldest. Are you Irish? No. <laughs> Methodist, Lutheran, and Jewish. My goodness. Yeah. No, we're white trash. Um, there must I, not be anything to do in... Where was it? Michigan? Minnesota. 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 Yeah. So... Like, my parents were divorced when I was really young, and my dad was dating more, so my older sisters would babysit me, and he would go out, mm-hmm. and he was in a he was in a cover band. <laughs> of what? Uh, like a 50s rockabilly like cover band. He played keyboards. He, he, he was cool. Is he still in one? He still, he, he still has a keytar. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's, still, he's still playing the keys. He's great. Um, so... My older sister would babysit me, and this was the time when, like, Nightmare 4 and 5 are coming mm-hmm. out, and I should be in bed, but I'm sneaking behind the couch, and I'm watching, I think, Pet Cemetery was the first time I actually got the gall to, like, step from behind the couch and actually sit on it and watch it with her, and she's like, you know, 
it's too scary, whatever. And Zelda comes up and it terrifies <laughs> the fuck out of me. And she knows it. Yeah. And so every night for years after the fact, if I didn't do what she wanted me to do, she was like, go get me a soda. Go get me a pop from the fridge. And if you don't, I'll feed you to Zelda. <laughs> she lives in our basement. Oh, no. And it, she turned Pet cemetery totally, against you. Totally, yes. But then, I, like, I, I love that that worked on you. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> I'd be like, no, she's not. You go down there. Right. No, there, there is a home movie of me screaming my head off of her telling, <laughs> telling me that Zelda's in our basement. That's a good segue into the gay topics. So. Right. <laughs> oh, my first drag queen was Zelda, for sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I remember that being like a pivotal moment being like, if someone knows what you're afraid of, they can control you. That's really interesting. I, I never thought of it that way. I just thought of it as like older siblings are dickheads. Totally, but totally. And, <laughs> I know, never did anything like that to you. No, that's not, really? That's not even cool. Missed opportunities. Exactly. Jessica did that to you Jessica all the time. Did. I did uh, not. We have, we have it, so it's Jess is the oldest. She's the straight one. Okay. And then there's Sam. Poor girl. I know. I feel terrible for her. <laughs> we call her heterosexual Jess on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and she's always like... Mm. And I'm like, listen, you earned this yourself. So it's Jess and then Sam. You made the wrong choice. <laughs> Seriously. And then I am dead in the middle, in case you couldn't tell by my, me becoming a drag queen. And then... Uh, then Always about her. <laughs> pissy, pissy, pissy. Um, and then Bob and Kevin are twins, and they're younger than okay. us. And they're both... Also uh, gay as well. So we, that is why we have our spooky gay family. Because it's in the water. <laughs> it must be. I, I used to joke, my poor dad, I think he <laughs> listens to this podcast, so he's going to hate me for saying this again. I, he, I, my dad always said, he was like, I don't know if I can go to a show. I don't know if I can go to a show. And uh, I, And one day his girlfriend convinced him like, Maybe you could. Maybe you could. And he was like, well, may, let's find a video online. So he found a video of me doing, like, the one time I did a, <laughs> a stand-up set talking about my dad. And I told that story. I was like, uh, I'm one of five kids, and of the five of us, four of us are gay. Uh, my dad, I don't know, my dad must be shooting glitter or something. <laughs> and and the, it like it but went I'm, on. Uh, it got so dirty. It was filthy. I was like, I was like, he's shooting glitter. If you know what I mean, it's what I'm wearing on my eyes. Uh, like oh. it, it got like really. It got really dark. <laughs> and my oh, dad. Daddy. <laughs> I was like, we call him Rainbow Bright. So now, my, whenever I see my dad, he goes Rainbow Bright. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, it was one time. I and you're repeating it now. Okay, two, two times. I had it to was clarify two times. for him that that was a you thing and not like all five of us what do you mean he asked me if we called him rainbow bright and i said <laughs> no that is just pissy it's not <laughs> like, it's not all of us I, to be so fair i'm the only one out of the will i don't call, <laughs> listen i will fight my way back in i'm fighting for scraps uh <laughs> i i don't call him rainbow bright often only in the context of when i want him to be embarrassed in public Oh, yeah. So yeah. that's fair, I think, right? Effective, yeah. <laughs> Effective. <laughs> so totally passed. <laughs> God willing. Yeah. Um he, let's jump into Scream Queen. Let's do it. So you two met doing this gay dating show, a reality show. Right. And then you had already started production on it, Roman? Yeah, it was getting it getting ready to. Yeah. What inspired you to put this together? Well, when did 
I mean, Mark Patton himself had just sort of come out of mm-hmm. the woodworks, uh, but not a lot of people knew it. He'd started doing conventions, but I that was not a world I was familiar with. I just was sitting in bed one night in the middle of the night, like, and it came to me, whatever happened to that actor mm-hmm. of that movie that I fucking loved so much as a kid, why have I not seen him in anything? Because I've always thought, like, there's just a drastic difference in, like, the acting in that movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes. forget about the story or what you think of it. Like, that was some great, great presentations. So um, I just started looking him up. And I realized, like, he had just come out and started telling his tale. And I'm reading this going, oh, my God, this is insane. And he had said, I want to put together a film or something. He he had made mention that he wanted to do a production and tell a story. So I just wrote to him. And I said, let's – I want to help you. So originally we were doing – Something that was way more artistic and kind of complex, and <laughs> and, and it, it was supposed to be like a very Freddy centric, and and it just wasn't working. But for the first year, we were working on that. Um, when did you when did you start putting it together? Like two thousand fourteen. <clears throat> oh wow! So this this took this was a real uh, passion project. This took a, mm. a lot a lot of planning. Oh out. yeah, and they'd already been doing it for quite a while before I came on board. I just said, hey. I, I want to help you with sound mm-hmm. and we'd done some promos and things and it just, you know, finally after a while I had a talk with Mark and he said, this isn't working. I said, I have a different, a different idea here. I mean, he told me what he wanted. I drove down to Maryland. We were doing a big showing of the Dream Master mm-hmm. part four. Yeah. Lisa Wilcox was there. Um, Joanne Willett was there. <laughs> so there was a bunch of us that we all finally got to meet in person. Yeah. And we sat down in a coffee shop and just spoke for hours about, let's base this off of Madonna's blonde ambition. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds silly, right? But that's what like we did. Like how many, uh, no, how many gay see. levels can we get can into this there. documentary? <laughs> that is exactly how he pitched, pitched it to me in that mm-hmm. first meeting. He's like, I want to make the gay spooky truth or dare. I love that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I gotta go watch that. And you know what? Oh, having, I'm... having like, like looking back on it now after I've watched the film, I definitely see that. Mm. I definitely see that element of it. And I think it, it really, it's a credit to you that like it wasn't overtly that, but that I can see the influence in it. I mean, it probably would have been more overt had he been doing like songs on stage and could <laughs> cut away to concert <laughs> material, right, right. but. We had Freddie to cut back and forth into, and, you know, there's... Madonna gave you a lot. If you haven't seen that, you really have to see it, but... Oh, it's... I, I think any... Especially if you grew up in, like, the 90s, any gay kid watched Truth or Dare. Like, every right. gay kid. And yeah. for nothing else than to know that she was surrounded by gay men all the time. Totally. And you're like, right. oh, there's gay men on screen. I can watch the this. The first time you, we get, we really got to see gay men kissing was on that show. Really? Yeah. That was huh. the first time it was ever really, like... I guess so. I, I, it's so hard to, like, look back on it and remember a time when, like, queer people weren't just, like, making out on TV. Oh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> For me, I was, like, a junior in high school. Yeah. That. So that comes out, and we were just blown away. Not just that, but the whole... The, the, the glitter of all of it, you know? Mm-hmm. She really... So that was... Mark is the one that was, like, he brought that up. That's kind of what he wanted to do. And he was like, we, we should tell a tale like that. 
let's go on the road and do this. So when I said, yeah, that's a great idea, and we talked for hours, worked out all the details, and then he's like, okay, he orchestrated this upcoming reunion show and got all the cast to mm-hmm. come, or you know, got them to bring them all, and we're like, okay, they're all in one place. <laughs> so right. what we're going to do is just jump at it, see what we can get. If we get what we hope we can get, then we have a movie. If we don't, well, no one will know. You know, <laughs> you know? right, right. <laughs> so you be you kind of did you assume the title of director at that point when you were like, okay, I have this idea for a new direction. Yeah, the entire thing was just uh, the way that I kind of go about working is let's just throw everything in there and see what's going to happen. And we'll mm-hmm. work out formalities afterwards. You know, like I'm yeah. just charging everything on my credit cards. Like, let's get plane <laughs> tickets. Let's get equipment. Let's get this. Just covering your eyes with one yeah. hand and like, oh, God, here right. we go. Oh, they totally. As, as Kim <laughs> Petrus would say, don't fight it. Close your eyes and swipe it. That's exactly what was happening. And then my credit card company called and they're like, actually, <laughs> we uh, like. Like days before we all had to go, they're like, "Let's lower that limit, huh?" Oh, yeah. So it, you know, oh, but no. I, yeah, how got, homophobic? Totally, <laughs> totally. Don't it you know we're making art? <laughs> I think I said that. You should have heard me. No, I, I was like, but I've got this big thing happening. It's going to be amazing. They're like, I don't care. <laughs> like, that's not how this works. So the whole thing was like, we just kind of had to just believe that we had something here. We did not. You know, like reach out to any of the actors and say, hey, we're coming. Get ready. Nobody nobody was prepped. Oh, wow. So they had no idea Nothing. all this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. We didn't we didn't want anybody to rehearsed. That makes sense. That's a good point. Yeah. And especially. It's being really kind. <laughs> but especially, no, I mean, I, not to give anything away, but knowing what happens in the fi- in the film and the progression of events you wouldn't want to give them too much time to kind of think of how to address it you want the most genuine mm-hmm. straightforward response to the story because on one hand we were thinking oh it would be awesome if we could get people to talk about things and be allies but it would be also awesome if people weren't mm-hmm. i mean better that they all are yeah um, but better from a filmmaker's yeah. perspective. Dramatic yeah. it's not bad if they're not. Exactly, right. yeah. Yeah, just to, just I don't know. I, I think people feel put on the spot, especially with that topic. Now, this is a big thing. So this is 2015. Right. Being a right. gay horror fan is not something that you talked about. It wasn't, it wasn't a thing, mm-hmm. you know? Like, that's why we bonded so quickly is because I'm like, oh, it's a fellow clan member that we have no official party to be a part of like so saying we're gonna go talk to these to robert england about gay stuff is like what (laughs) and by the way sam said like (laughs) no she said and i totally agreed it was so great to hear him talk about this stuff in the film because it was like oh my god i liked him for being freddy Mm. krueger but now i love him for being robert england because he had such insightful things to say uh he was amazing he i mean at Every convention, he is the one who has the longest line. And by the grace of God, for some reason, this particular convention was not fully attended. Mm-hmm. So the last day we were there, it was almost empty. Wow. And he had time to step away. And he's like, I'll give you 10 minutes. And then we start talking, and it's like almost an hour. Oh, wow. And he's just riffing on all these topics. And it's like, I've never heard him 
talk about all the things he talks about in this film. He doesn't like know. to talk, though. Like, like I mean, I've, oh I've seen him at events. He, he, he really likes to talk. He's oh, yeah. Am, perfect, he is a chatty Cathy. It's almost right. like he played Freddy Krueger. For a right. reason. Like, like, it's almost like that was good casting. Right. <laughs> He's monologuing everything. <laughs> but he gave us a lot, and, and he, obviously we couldn't use a lot of stuff because yeah. we have to keep it tight, but he, I think ev- we were surprised by every single one of those people had not just nice things to say about Mark, but they had their own mm-hmm. insight on this and it, and, it, and they sincerely meant it. We walked away every day going, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Yeah. Everyone was so excited to not be, first of all, asked about, what was it like to work with Freddy Krueger? I know. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's your favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie? You know, all that kind of yeah. stuff. They're like, wow, you're asking us what, what we feel about social issues from the 19... 19- it was it was. Awesome. And how they relate to current day. Mm-hmm. Do you think you'll ever release some of the more like extended footage from the interviews and things? We want to. We have yeah. things planned. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I would love to see I those. I watch that. I know, in a yeah. heartbeat. But there's plenty, not to give stuff away, like said, <laughs> but we do have, uh, there's so many other little split off stories from this uh, yeah. that I just, you know, kills you to have to take out. But we have little featurettes we'd like to make and put out. I would really love it if you did. Blue Speaking Ray. of, uh, this is probably a good time to actually talk about the, the movie uh, in terms of like what it is. We, I know we kind of touched on it earlier, but basically the the film you guys made is about Mark Patton, who played uh, the the main character Jesse. in Jesse in in Nightmare on Elm Street two, and there was kind of. Even at the, especially at the time, and and now today it has just kind of blossomed, and it, you talk about it a lot in the film. There was kind of an uh, an overt subtext of queerness in this movie about the main character. He was, I believe, at the time the first male scream queen, right? Uh, uh, what's his name? Jason had not had. Uh, Tommy yet, right? I think Tommy Jarvis might have happened already, but it wasn't the same kind of connotation. Like, he was not treated No, 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 no. He, nothing I mean, else, the first time Tommy shows up, he's a little kid. So nobody was different. ever treated the way Jesse was in Nightmare 2. Nobody was ever... and I mean, he was a scream queen. He was the protagonist. He was the the focus of the film and Mark Patton after the film was released uh encountered a lot of homophobia uh in Hollywood and in his personal life and and all kinds of things and so that is what the documentary focuses on is Mark Patton's journey through the homophobia he experienced after filming the movie is which is that how you would yeah, uh, beautiful. Absolutely. <laughs> Describe it. I just wanted to make sure. I'm like, every once in a while, I, re- I remember I gave a TED Talk and I have to try and sound smart. <laughs> I think the thing with the Freddy's Revenge film is that we've now spent the last five years with a lot of people throwing wonderful comments about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been rediscovered. It's been reclaimed. And it's we're holding it up as like, hey, this is awesome. But when we started, that was not the case. Yeah. And and even as a kid, I remember, like, when I rented Nightmare on Elm Street 2, it had just come out. Dream Warriors had just come out. And I remember my friends were like, no, we want Dream Warriors because my <laughs> older brother said that one's great, you know. And, yeah. And um, all we could get was part two. That was the, what was on the video shelves, you know. And so <laughs> right, I just – Right, it, it, hmm. it was the one that was available at the time. And – I loved it, but I was also really scared. And it, obviously, it meant something to me. So I was like, "Whoa, this is 
Did you know at the time that you were gay? No. Or queer. I shouldn't make assumptions. No. (laughs) He's like, I'm straight. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Uh, I didn't. No, because I saw it in like end of fifth grade. Oh, okay. It was like 1987 or something or 88, something like that. My goodness. And I'm sure Don't do the math. But I I was like, I was thinking, I was like, 30 days past September. (laughs) Forever 27. Thank you. (laughs) But it was, it was, I just remember that it was always talked about like, oh, that, they didn't say gay. They said, oh, that's not, they don't, that's a dumb one. Or we don't like that one. That one's lame. Yeah. We, and, and I always thought that was, I never understood that. I'm like, the pretty scary yeah it doesn't mm-hmm. have all the cool supernatural stuff that dream warriors has yeah because that's what we've all come to like expect from a nightmare in elm street is all that fantastic stuff going on yeah obviously exactly. that's awesome uh but it, it was it was i always liked that and i always hated that people said that and but the gay thing started coming out later with the internet it gave people a script to a parrot mm-hmm. and yeah. that's when everyone starts like oh yeah it's this it's that it's definitely mark mark got a lot of slack in the press at yeah. the time from people you'll see in the movie or you've seen it's like yeah. it it came from within mostly but the industry is pretty brutal to you if if they s- sniff it out you know i yeah i mean i i totally see where where that's coming from especially in the in the time frame you know this movie was released right in the midst of the aids crisis and i know that that is also addressed in the in the film as well mm. and so there was it, there's a panic about it that right. happens um sam did you when did you first see nightmare 2 oh god um i want to say i was like 9 or 10 years old so that was 1990. Okay. <laughs> nice, nicely done. 2000. No. I mean, I, mean, I kind of like, just saw it last week. <laughs> I kind of went on a kick with the Nightmare movies at about that time because mm-hmm. I saw the first one. Yeah. And then sort of worked my way through very slowly stealing Dad's blockbuster card. But, <laughs> I mean, um, I think any time, like when you see the first Nightmare blockbuster. Oh. I, I used to work at Blockbuster. She did. <laughs> I worked at A Plus Video in Rogers, Minnesota. Our arch nemesis. No, I, 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 no um, they had signs up. It was yeah, terrible. No, it, was a, it was a blood feud. No, um, no, I had a hookup at, at the local at the local blockbuster. I had like there was like that one manager who didn't give a shit that I was clearly not old enough to rent oh, stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> so they're like, just I remember sliding I rented, a twenty across wait, the Wait, where did you grow up? We grew up in New Jersey, um, like uh, northern I'm New super- Jersey. Okay. I remember the video. Yeah, they did not give a crap. They were there. Like, here you go. We're very lax. I rented barbed wire at like 10 years old. Nice. <laughs> Jeez. Which I'm like, in retrospect, I'm like, why was I watching that? It's only the opening scene that might right. be inappropriate, right. although that's one of my favorite scenes ever. Yeah. Like, just just her with the water and the She stripper. couldn't save me. Amazing. I'm still gay. I just imagine you like walking into your local video store and being like, what's behind this curtain? And they're like, go check. It's fine. Right, right. <laughs> And everyone who is was born after the year 2000 is like, I don't get it. That's where they kept the porn. Yes. Kids. Uh, you actually had to go out and get porn. You had to go find it, it and talk to someone to get time. it. You had to look someone in the eye and be like, yes, I would like Dude Bang Bros 3. And then eat your shame when you got home. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. You had to rent the movie with Reese's Pieces. You had to get them all at Any once. Idea and you had to like. stack them. <laughs> You had to stack them so you couldn't see the cover. The cover. Yeah. <laughs> 
and you got the little black bag if you bought, which was the best thing. Right, it was the little right. black bag that no one could see what the hell you had just got. Which might as well <laughs> just they might as well but just. That's the thing. You have the little black bag, but it was kind of also the ones that you could put liquor in. Like a lot of liquor yeah. stores had the black bag. Yeah, but it doesn't so look there was like a, a bottle, question about no. whether or not you were an eighteen-year-old perv <laughs> right, or an eighteen-year-old right. drunk. Yeah, if you walked out of a movie store with a little black bag, you might as well have just gotten a sign that said, "I'm watching porn tonight." Like right. they, they, it was stupid. The one in near my house where I grew up in had a deal where you could buy one and get four free. They were just trying to get rid of everything. It's also the suburbs. So there's not a lot of gay content. There's like four <laughs> gay videos. And I so if you just bought being all like, four. Well, you're right. If I'm going to buy one, I might as well get them all. <laughs> and I'm like checking them out. And then, of course, like two people I went to high school with are right behind me. Like, oh, what movie are you getting? And I'm like, oh, nothing. Uh, and I couldn't think of a lie. <laughs> so like, They're like, what's in and out of Africa? <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I've never seen right. that it's one. So Is funny, that a I sequel? I did see that. No, it was, uh, what was it called? Um, it's okay. Harry Squatter and the Sorcerer's Bone. I'm not joking. Harry Potter and the... Wait! Harry Squatter. Harry Squatter and the Sorcerer's Bone. First of all, this is... Why didn't they just say, like... No, never mind. Is that the one where Mimi I'm first played Hagrid? (laughs) I'm not kidding. If you go on the internet right... Go on the internet right now, kids, and search Mimi I'm first uh, Harry Potter porn parody. It is there. She plays Hagrid. I was very impressed by their use of special effects. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> did he cast a lot of spells did he cast a patronus <laughs> he was there and then he was not there. <laughs> the magic of editing i love editing uh so let's let's uh, we do this all the time we always jump but into anyway. these weird <laughs> but, but anyway uh mark is a really fascinating person is he as like is he as nice and kind in person as he comes off in the film? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's I mean, he's led such a, a crazy life. And I'm I was shocked watching it how uh grounded he seems because he's been through so much. Was was that ultimately the goal to to kind of raise him up in the movie, or were you just trying to get the most honest depiction of him? Hmm. Well, well, I think it was both of those things. I think yeah. they're different things. I think yeah. the most honest depiction is what we're going for because he – and I defend him on this. Like he was being extremely raw. It was happening. Yeah. And a lot – you know, he was living in a different country. Mm-hmm. And so he only has these little bursts of, of coming together and – and seeing all these other actors and like confronting them and it's like all this stuff swells out of you. It's not like he's around going to therapy, seeing people at the grocery store and working things out. He'd have decades built up. So we needed to show like what kind of an impact this can have on someone's life. Did did you reach out to his family when you were filming the Mark's family? Yeah. Uh yeah. Somewhat. <laughs> I'm ca- we don't have to go into it if it's if it's well. What uh, do you want to know? <laughs> I was just curious. I was curious if they were uh, willing to talk about basically everything in the movie because he he did say in the movie mm-hmm. he comes from a very religious upbringing, uh, and then when everything happened, I I could imagine that it was probably uh, that was also an added stress was having kind of this 
a lot of those people weren't aren't around anymore. Oh, okay. So for Mark and and we did, you know, there everyone was. We were very surprised everywhere we went. Everyone was very agreeable to help with this, and and I think at the end of the day, though, we had to really streamline the story. Mm-hmm. There's 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 peop, awesome people that we had to actually not include, and so in terms of Mark, I think it really had to stay around Mark and the topic on hand. Um, but he does talk in his childhood about how there was, you know, he moved away and no one comes looking for you. Like, and, right. and that's something that yeah. I identified with as a gay kid when you're 18 and you, you move to the city because right. you're told that's the only place you can flourish Yeah, and you stay there. And, and at the time it wasn't how it is now where cities are cool and that's where you go if you want to have fun. It's like, that's where you go if you have the guts to do it. Yeah. And nowhere else to go. Nowhere else. Yeah. Driving ambitions or just seeking some shelter, some cocoon for yourself. But your parents didn't go. That's scary to them. You know? Where are you from, Roman? I am from California, San Jose. Oh. So right outside of San Francisco. Oh, that's very exciting. I grew up there. So when you kind of became of age, did you immediately run to San Francisco? The day. I graduated. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. He the lit day his I graduation cap on fire, threw it at his family. He was like, "I'm out of here." I used to go clubbing to all the goth clubs when I was a kid. Yeah, on the, on the weekends, sometimes during the school week, and um, and I Who had friends Homer? there. I had friends there that were like, "Oh, we need someone to take this room, this big Victorian house right in near Castro." And oh my so God. my friend came and she came to my graduation so she could stay the night and help me move up the next morning. That's a dream. It was, well, because I was, I was determined. <laughs> I was determined to get, yeah, I would take the train and go shopping all the time, but I wanted my life to be that. Yeah. I didn't want, I wanted more. I think I think every queer person kind of has that impetus because you grow up feeling so isolated. Mm. You have this, this thing inside of you that's like i gotta go and do something whether it's uh visual art whether it's performing whether it's producing it's audio it's music whatever whatever writing whatever it is that's in you there's always something that you're like i'm gonna get out of here and i'm gonna do this thing i think everybody has that no oh god even just i want to go on a date and not have to worry about who's around me (laughs) you know i want to go out to dinner and not feel awkward yeah and pretend like block everybody out how about just not worry about that i remember when i went on my first date with my with my now husband david we went to a restaurant i know (laughs) how sweet uh (laughs) we went to a restaurant and we were on our way in and there uh, we were either we were either on our way in or on our way out and a guy was coming the opposite direction he had clearly been drinking and he looked we were kind of talking minding our own business and he looked at oh, us no. and we looked up and he goes you're gay and we were like like both taken aback like we didn't know <laughs> right. what to say and because what what happens after that exactly like, because be I, me i'm like reaching into my pockets i'm like where are my keys and my husband was like yeah and he was like Okay. And he just like walked away. And I was like, what the fuck was that? I did yeah, not right, like right. what was that supposed to be? And but it, that it's was the your same first thing. date? That was our first date. It's like, okay, so that really like cuts away at any sort of 
you know, self-esteem you might have worked up to go out on I a know. date. I mean, luckily, I, I had just graduated with a degree in musical theater, so I, the world couldn't crush me. Okay. But That's how he knew. I know. You, you know, but you... Walking with it out front. <laughs> you were riding high on this, like, newfound pride. Yeah. But it still stabs you underneath it. You just... You've just now built up this armor where you're going to pretend like you're untouchable and really yeah. think it. But as you get older, you start to realize that it did hurt you and you just let it kind of stay there and just move on. Which interestingly is kind of a theme in Nightmare 2 is the idea of of this character. And I mean, it's not it's not explicitly stated, but you have this character who is clearly different from every other heroine we've seen in in the horror franchises and he's he's clearly different mm. and he, he suffers dance. for it he can he dance. can dance if he wants to for inspiration <laughs> he can leave his friends behind because Stop his friends time. don't dance <laughs> And if they don't dance, they're no friends of mine. I tried to, I tried to go <laughs> down tried. Madonna, but no. <laughs> sorry, we took it a really much worse. I direction. like men without hats; it's fine. Yeah, but, yeah he, he I was mean, definitely. You can leave different... your hat on. <laughs> enough <laughs> she's like please stop <laughs> this is like we were roommates at one point too oh, over yeah. making this were movie. you really and we yeah we was got, that hell we got a good shorthand <laughs> backhand yeah yeah backhand mm. <laughs> wait you were roommates while you were filming just yeah. for a bit yeah for like six months yeah yeah did you want to kill each other yeah, yeah at but... times <laughs> at times yeah. but it, it's just like making a movie is really hard you know, making a documentary is really hard. It's just hard. It's, I could imagine. It's it's not like we had 20 people on this team. It was me and Tyler, essentially. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on top of it, you don't have you, you don't have a script that says, okay, here's what happens next. You're exactly. just totally following the mm-hmm. the trail of wherever this leads you. Right. Exactly. I could imagine that that's probably the challenge. wondering if, like, do I have everything that I need? Or what if I could go get some more? Mm-hmm. And you're constantly going back and forth. And at one point, you just have to like, no, I can't spend any more money. I have to just use whatever is here. I, ima- I have to be creative. Yeah. I imagine that's kind of – that's what would scare me the most of making a documentary is just not knowing where it's going. You could follow all of these paths and end up down a huge rabbit hole. And it's like at what point do you know you've so, gone either far enough or too far? With, with Mark having – Gone. He was going through this stuff as it was happening. So, mm-hmm. yes, that's difficult. It's not like some documentaries where they're like, oh, it's been resolved. Let's tell the tale. Yeah. And you can work backwards. But I've always believed that regardless of what would happen, for me, my angle that I really wanted to interject there was I love the 80s. I've always lo- – I loved the 80s in the 80s. It was mm-hmm. awesome. But there's a horrible side to the 80s too, more so than – any decade that's come since then. And I kind of wanted to shine a line, a light on that, mm-hmm. you know, and you guys actually, like when I was watching the credits, I saw, I saw there was a credit for an LGBT plus historian mm-hmm. in right, the credits. Right. Mm-hmm. What made you go and find somebody to do that? Well, so that was Leo Herrera, mm-hmm. who a wonderful filmmaker in his own right. Yeah. So I work with him a lot. He has a series called fathers. Okay. Um, and it's all about like just a fantasy 
interpretation of like what if all of these idols that passed away didn't die of AIDS mm. and sort of recreating a world where that didn't happen. And and it's sort of just like that imagination helps you sort of look back and realize how much we've lost. But also kind of painting it in a positive light. Sounds yeah. sounds like a tall order, but it's it's a short series. It's it's going to festivals now. You could see a lot of them online. But he was so ambitious. He was kind of like us and very am- adamant with what he was doing. People think he's like off the wall and how do you put together this huge project like that? Like it's a lot, you know, you have to be a little crazy or bitchy <laughs> to get this stuff done. <laughs> yeah, People have to hate you at times, essentially. Right, right. And he was That's fantastic. being a good producer. <laughs> being a good producer and having a vision and believing in what you're doing. And he was always like that with everything we did. And so I thought, well, he's the perfect one to come in and help us. Like he, he was really big on history, gay history. Right. So he right. really helped us find things that were very sentimental. If you see two men dancing mm-hmm. and it's from 30, 40 years ago, that was – he had his hand in that. That is really cool. And I will say while I was watching the film, I was I was surprised how little I had considered the uh, – the context of Nightmare 2, of of like when it came out and where we were in gay history at the time. That was something that really struck me mm-hmm. about, about the film is where we were in our history then. And I know that a lot of young people today might not have the context for that. So I thought it was really cool that the film really helped to put it in context for those people. Thank you. Because it it was very meaningful to know. We had a very similar conversation when we were talking about uh, it, chapter two that just Uh, came out not that long ago, because there's the famous scene in the beginning of the movie where uh, spoiler alert, there's a, a gay bashing and, I Sam and I had had a conversation about it because I had read the book and so I knew I knew to expect that scene and when Sam and I talked about it she is by the way like my she is my favorite person to go to when I'm like I don't understand this and she goes I know everything I'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so wise. Because she is. I Honest to God, I don't have enough nice things to say about her. You can't tell, but she's giving him the side <laughs> eye. He never about? talks like this. Sorry. I did it in another episode. Uh, she did more credit for me. He never tells me this off mic. It's like. I, but I will say. like, Why would you want to wear off now? <laughs> But it was it was shocking because I was like, I don't understand the necessity of this scene. And it's like, well, and she very rightly pointed out that at the time when it when the novel came out, it was progressive to be talking about something like that happening. So as much as it's jarring to see an event like that, either on film or to read it in a, a book, it was important in its moment to kind of shed a light on something that was happening that people were not paying attention to and that those were sympathetic characters that you were supposed to have sympathy for. Mm. And that was something that I thought was really interesting about this movie. There are, there are parallels that you guys helped to draw between that ideology and what Mark went through. Were you conscious of that while you were making it? Definitely. <laughs> yeah, still, I mean, still conscious of it. The '80s parallel was my was my. So we have a gap between us in age, mm-hmm. and Tyler Tyler was fantastic in bringing out a lot of 
I guess the things that were going to be important or – he would challenge me a lot with things that would be impactful for the younger people that mm-hmm. I'm I'm probably more of a mentor to than someone that I can like, uh, you know, chum with. And I felt like I, there was a lot of the 80s that I just kept – we talk about montages and things. Right, I'm like right. – and I'm talking with my hands and speaking about all these flourishes and throw glitter here and this. And he's like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And I forget <laughs> like, oh, you weren't being bullied in the 80s yet. Yeah, right. You don't – you weren't catching a lot of my references right off, off the bat. But we got there. <laughs> yeah. We got there. Yeah. We got there. Mm. But I mean – The hardest part was – you know, I was born the year Nightmare Two came out, and so mm-hmm. the the political climate is I don't have a grasp on it. Like I wasn't yeah. politically aware until the '90s. So a lot of these things that we're referencing is why we needed a, a <clears throat> LGBT historian. It's like what was happening culturally. Where were we as a people? You know, apart from Ronald Reagan being the devil. Yeah. (laughs) But like I always knew I was too young to really articulate what was actually going on or understand what's going on beyond behind the curtain. But I always knew there was this big like religious thing that Mm -hmm. was growing and that was when it exploded and I could feel it. And on top of that, like, you know, I think a lot of younger people don't understand that like you – being bullied for being gay in the 80s came in this shroud of violence as well, mm-hmm. even at school. And it, it was this disdain that was not filtered from adults. Like, they, you were allowed to go. All of the venom was there. Yeah. It was, they weren't even trying to hide it. So it was the worst thing. And on top of it, it was – I feel like there were so many issues in, in the 80s that were – kind of culminating from this uh, traditional viewpoint. Uh, There was obviously everything going on with gay and queer people, but there was also the satanic panic and all of Mm. those things were kind of coming to a head all at the same time. Mm. And so you had this huge, this massive movement and that's kind of what gave rise to people like Ronald Reagan is this, this drive towards traditionalism and, and, you know, whatever. It's almost like they were trying to make something great again. <laughs> totally. Isn't it weird? I do, I do think that Reagan was probably put in place more because the rise of, of yuppies, like yeah. risky yeah. business, was was really that's what well, it was all about. But then come in George Bush and all of that. that exactly. A whole different thing. I loved Dungeons and Dragons, though. So. <laughs> I, I was already used to being that kid on over to the side that likes every everything is problematic with me, you know? So. You know, I've never played Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons. I just like the books. I like the art. <laughs> yeah. If you don't play, you get played. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> I'll show myself up. I'm still, yeah, please. I'm still kind of upset about this Harry Potter porn thing that I've now heard about. Like, I, I'm so were you, you, off guard. were you in, are you into Harry Potter? Do you like Harry Potter? I'm, I, I like those movies. I'm not into it. I mean, I was like, way old when they came out so it's not like i donned a cape and a staff i just like watching them we were like the kids that were at barnes and noble at midnight to to like get the books full costume that's great though i I love that uh fanaticism oh uh, fanaticism is a a theme that runs pretty commonly in our in our lives it's amazing (laughs) i'm i'm happy to see people dressing up and going to a midnight movie yeah like 
the Avengers, like, I'm all for it. I just am not that fanatic about those films. I wish we had more, like, midnight movies for, like, horror movies. I feel like we need those, like... Right. Yeah, I feel like they never turn into, like, the big event, kind of like what you were saying before. Yeah. It's like, I kind right. of wish that we could... We could have I, that for the them. the re, the remake of it was the last time it I was felt. the closest I've seen it. Right? Yeah. Did you guys like it? I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. That both f- chapters. Both chapters. I've only I saw the first one a few times, and then uh, we saw it in 4DX with the movable seats. Oh, I didn't have know you ever, that was have a you thing. Ever done that? No. no movable seats. Oh my god. So it's, it's like it's like experience, like right, like so the the, ro- the smell of vision. The seat moves, <laughs> but it's also connected with the camera movements. So if a, if a film is just like kind of swooping in from the top, you're making that motion oh, as well. Geez. If they're outside, there's fans in the auditorium that blow wind on you. If it's raining, there are drops that come from the ceiling. I saw Aquaman. What were they in doing 4DX? for it? <laughs> and they right? just drowned like, you. They just dropped blood <laughs> on you. Like, like what's right. So <laughs> they did all that. Like that movie is dark and wet, and they're constantly like spraying mist on you. Okay. They have scents as well. So every time they go into Pennywise's lair, it smells super foul. In the it's this all sounds experience. very John Waters. It is wonderful. <laughs> I loved it so much. That being said. The gimmick works so well that you can't really focus think on critically the movie. about what you're watching. Okay. You're just yeah. enjoying the experience. I enjoyed the fuck out of it, chapter two, mm. and I have a welt on my ass. What? Because I was jostled for three and a half hours. <laughs> oh, I was, I was like, a long film, I was like, <laughs> were they? Oh. All... I was like, was this another parody? It hurt. <laughs> it hurt so bad. Harry Potter, right? <laughs> oh, Sorry, but it was worth it. It was worth it. Uh, so one question that we have that we wanted to ask you guys, oh, cause we're not going to touch on the fact that we hated it, but we, <laughs> I was sitting here going, okay, we got to win. I was like, oh no. Uh, right, right. One question that we wanted to ask you guys because we're kind of fangirls is what was it like to actually get to sit and talk to Robert England? Well, I'm trying to think of where to begin. So <laughs> when nervous. when we first, when I was like trying to orchestrate this whole thing, like his his manager was like dismissing us. Like he thought we were just some, I was some kid or something, <laughs> which is good. I mean, I'm not going to fight the age thing, but like I'm trying to say it. Forever 27. Yeah. But it, it really was a little bit of a struggle. And then when he realized who we were, he was like, oh, okay. And he didn't even stop talking the whole way yeah. up to sit down so like i was enamored by all of these stories and it's awesome and i and i appreciate the fact that he's telling me things like the best restaurants to go if i'm ever in marin and blah 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 i'm like (laughs) i i love the fact that you think that i can do that (laughs) that's awesome no i so we met him like five years ago and in florida and we shot that thing and it was kind of out of body i met him and elvira in the same day and i just like, oh my goodness didn't know how to talk to people which was good because at this point i was <laughs> just a camera not. person i'm like <laughs> i don't have to talk to anyone i just have to make sure it's in focus um, <laughs> and then at the we had we showed at outfest in la this summer and he came 
uh, Robert Rustler came, Kim Myers came with Mark Patton, and we had a little Q and A. All of the Elm Street people were there. Uh, it was from every everyone. Yes, it was full. It was just kind of like an out of body experience. And after the movie's done, after the Q and A is over, he got Robert Englund just kind of like points at me, and he's like, "You edited that," and he. <laughs> grabbed me and held me oh. for like 45 seconds. Oh. Just like, I don't I don't know where I put this in my life. Imagine if he had said that and then just walked away. Right? <laughs> oh my god. It was just like Like the end of your life. Right. I was like, oh, well, I tried. That that, that <laughs> was that was the time where it really became I got it in perspective. Um but for different reasons. Like remember how I was freaking out like we need to have the green room ready. I need to have a safe space for all these actors. There's going to be all these people showing up. And right. I, I don't want them just waiting in the lobby with everyone else. It's going to be weird. And I, I had a, Tracy Lords there too. Tracy was wonderful. My it God. was just a lot. It was a lot. You know, when you're trying to produce these things and like, you know, if you don't demand it, it won't get done. Yeah. So I'm worried about this space for them to hang out. And I just knew like I didn't realize just how important that was until I saw – Robert comes out. We're all going to do the red carpet. And instantly, like 50 people that I didn't even know were there pounce on him for signatures. Like we thought it was just us and the cameras and our crew. (laughs) And then all these guys with like Freddy dolls and pens and markers just came out of the shadows. It was like Night of the Living Dead and they were coming through the windows. (laughs) It was awesome. But I was like – people from Ghosts. They were waiting. They they knew where he was going to be and they were waiting for their time because they – it was a lot. So for me, I'm like holy – and I watched him just like smoothly go out and start doing his thing. I'm like he's been doing this a lot. Right. He knows where they're going to be. He probably expected them. So I was glad they had that. Special bar upstairs where no one could bother them. But wow. Yeah. So I, I didn't realize just how, because I, I didn't really go to horror conventions before we did that first mm-hmm. one. I hadn't, I've only been to a couple really. I think they're cool. I just work too much, you know. <laughs> I love them. Yeah. I've gone to a few now just yeah. as a fan. And yeah. I'm into it. Cool. So Robert England was fantastic. And he, he will tell you everything you ever want to know about anything. And probably a little bit extra. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but these, I Ask will. Ask him about Jules Verne. Oh, boy. Jules Verne. I'm going to remember yeah. that the next time I go to a con. I'm just going to walk up, derail that signing completely. Like, <laughs> I mean, tell we... me about Jules Verne. She puts a chair down and gets a popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> you want to tell me what this is all about? <laughs> I, I do have to thank all of those people, though, again, because like I said, we didn't prep them. We kind of put them on the spot and they all delivered sincerely and robert had some great tales to tell because he he was talking even on stage at the time during the reunion about validating what mark was saying about how at the time there was it there was no such thing as being a gay actor you couldn't and robert was like yeah and when aids hit it's true there like it was devastating Mm -hmm. and there was people that would like even in the theater in new york what was he saying that like he was saying that like there was so much death there was like a death every week they were losing people so quickly that they were pulling students out of like new york acting schools to run costumes on snl oh and on broadway like Like people were getting pulled up the ranks just because everyone was dying right yeah and it you know he had a lot of stories like that he has he has a long history with actors and shows so he knows a lot 
And it's it. I think that was one of the most – I know I touched on this earlier. That was one of the most wonderful things uh, about watching the film was getting to hear him talk so uh, in-depth about that mm. kind of element of the film. You wouldn't expect it from him. No. Right. I kind of expected and, – and it, I don't mean this in a, a rude way. I don't mean to insinuate anything uh, anything unkind. But I guess I just didn't expect him to have such a nuanced opinion of what happened to Mark. And it – I really think everyone who's listening should go out and watch the movie because if for no other reason to hear his commentary on it was like as a queer horror fan, you're like, oh, my God, somebody I love understands queer ideology and queer experience and someone who I I don't believe is queer. I don't know about Robert England, but you're like, we looked in all his bags. I certainly don't stalk him. That I think is the beauty of what this film became. We were, we talk a lot of, about who the audience for this is. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we expected, you know, gay people would, would come. They'd be interested. We expected the horror fans would come for Freddie but having Robert England talk about these things will connect the straight audience who wouldn't normally seek out gay historical content. Right. Like, I don't see that link happening other places. So for for him to tell these stories, which will connect with an audience who isn't aware of them mm-hmm. already, I think is super powerful. Well, how many other gay documentaries are straight people really going to go see? Exactly. And especially in such a niche, as such a niche genre as horror, it's like you have horror and then you have queer horror. And queer horror is such uh, an underrepresented group. And that's why this podcast is so important to us because – Queer queer people love horror. Uh, queer, there are so many Identify queer themes. Strongly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are so many queer themes in any in any horror franchise, whether it's overt or whether it's subtext sub, subtextual. Uh, subtextual was the mm-hmm. word I was looking for, but I had a stroke. Um, and stroke <laughs> <Drug> a genius. <laughs> oh, the zingers! I love them. Oh. She's having a stroke. I'm what? Two, co- two cocktails. Yeah, I, and that is something that I really loved about this movie because you guys talk not only to uh, Robert England, but you see appearances from horror fans, gay and straight and queer and all, all like all the different levels. And it's so interesting to hear people talk about Nightmare 2 from every different angle because you forget that straight people are, are have these opinions about this movie and it's interesting to hear how their opinions are changed by hearing Mark's testimony about it and by hearing Robert's feelings about it and uh basically everyone who was involved in the movie had something to say about kind of the legacy of the the queerness of this movie well also just if you're a horror fan you're left of center by default. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like this isn't it isn't like this if you're a horror fan, the rest of the world thinks you're a weirdo. Yeah. Right. So yeah. so <clears throat> that should at least unify us whether you're a gay horror fan or not. Like that I think we really needed to remind people of that. Like 
regardless of your sexuality, we're all in the same pot by by society standards. So mm-hmm. let's not fight amongst ourselves. That's that's my little two cents. There. <laughs> you know, there you can identify with Jesse Walsh regardless of your sexuality. I think most of us know what it's feel like knows what it feels like to either be new at a school or be you know made fun of or you like that stuff that's not popular like it. You, you know, you, it's. It, I don't think that the struggle of that character is just a sexual one, mm-hmm. and it, so I think it's good to kind of bring that back. It's not. I, I. I don't think it's. I don't think it's just a sexual one. If nothing else, like I didn't have the kind of visceral reaction to Nightmare Two that I know a lot of gay men have, mm. just by virtue of that that weird gendered lens. Right. But at the same time, like watching the documentary now, like I identify with Mark Patton. Mm. A lot more than I identify with Jesse Walsh, but right. I think that's kind of the beauty of the film you made is is it's not just about identifying with Jesse and it's not just about like getting gay allyship from Robert England. It's watching him kind of take the power back because like I've seen like the original Nightmare on Elm Street documentary Never Sleeps Again like does mm-hmm. touch on this briefly, right? Very briefly. Never sleep yeah. again. I said sleeps, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> but um, we'll come with you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but um, I remember like watching and. That documentary, and for the five whole minutes they were talking about this, going, this is a way more interesting topic than how they spun the room yet again. And yeah. <laughs> so I want to And they say, breezed like, through it. Yeah, they, no. they didn't really, like, actually get into the whys. They just made it into a fluff piece, really. Yeah. Right. In their uh, defense, defense yeah. there wasn't really space. For, uh, yes, it's no. a four-hour movie, but it's it's a different... It's a different story. I think they did a wonderful job, but we're also fans of Elm Street. So we can watch these things, and there's things for us to appreciate in that. My Mm -hmm. mother is not going to have any interest in watching any of that because she's (laughs) not – that's not for her. But she might watch Scream Queen and be like, oh, my God, I lived through that time too. I might have things – to say about it and she's like i love share <laughs> actually Cher my mother me. has seen share like i yeah. was so gagged when i was watching the documentary and i was like he was in a broadway musical with share yeah. i was like oh my god i was uh, like the gay in me was like this is this is, we can stop here we have right, got, we have right. gone about as far as we can go <laughs> and then obviously there was the rest of the film right. that was actually yeah, relevant. in the first 15 minutes. It literally was like, it's so irrelevant. Like, no, I got it. Comparatively. Yeah. But uh, that was like a, a crazy, crazy uh, moment for me. Kind of, I, I wanted to jump back to what you were saying before about um, queer representation in the horror genre. I'm also very interested to see what will happen now as we're seeing a much more mm. tolerant group of young kids. I'm very interested to see what they will think of a movie like Nightmare 2. If they will see the the subtext of queerness and how they will react to it. Because it, it, I imagine it's going to be much different from the original audience from the 80s. Well, I feel, I, I think, who knows? But I do, <laughs> I, my, my feeling is, is that there will be people that watch it and appreciate it because we're still in that hybrid of of freedom. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's like when I used to read classic literature as a kid, I'm like, oh, bring another book. This one, <laughs> you know, like they're, the, they're so boring. You're two books. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like maybe they might need something elevated that's a little bit more blatant mm-hmm. uh, because we're a little past subtlety now. I think we're more in like a warrior stage. 
right. as I like to put it. And but perhaps things will calm down and people will like. I mean, the, the character of Jesse, I think people will get. Yeah, and but I think they'll enjoy him too. I think the ending of the movie will be problematic for people, and so mm-hmm. that's where the any disconnect might lie. And and that would simply just be in the storytelling. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about how important context is to some of these movies because you you talk about like sleepaway camp <laughs> it's like it, it doesn't make lambs a silence right? yeah silence any of them now. it's like you can look at them and say none of these movies age well but i do think there's something important is but isn't it interesting that for a certain generation the only time they saw queer characters were in horror films. Exactly. And they were the villain. Often, yeah. Except, well, I guess Freddie was or, kind of... Or the, 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 the butt of a joke. Yeah. Yes, they were often the butt of a joke, as was the case in Nightmare 2. Right. Or like, in horror films, they are explicitly queer. And mm-hmm. in other forms of entertainment, they're just like... Coded. coded. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So like, you, you can read them as queer if you are a gay person. <laughs> Everyone who wasn't like. in a horror movie was just Paul Lind. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I'd love his Halloween specials. So good. Oh my god, it's so good with Margaret Hamilton. <laughs> it's oh. on, it's it's on like Hulu or right. something uh, right now. I think it's, it's on, on I, I think it's on Prime. Prime. One it of might, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, you're right. It's either Prime or Hulu or like one of those streaming services. And you should all go watch it because it's fucking, you'll hate it. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, who are these people? This you is stupid. You don't know that. Right. <laughs> oh, but it's so, like, you don't have to know the people. It's great. The entire oh thing God. is like. Florence Henderson is in it. Yeah. Yes. Kiss. Kiss. <laughs> so, one thing, uh, we are kind of approaching the the. Uh, culmination of this episode but I do have uh, kind of like a sip the tea question for you Um, did you know going into this and and I guess towards the end of the production did you what were your (laughs) hopes as far as reaching out to uh, David Chaskin uh, well, so that wasn't the end of the production. That was probably really? right in the middle. Really? Mm-hmm. That's That was the turning point where we realized, oh, there's more. Mm-hmm. We're not done. We've got to follow through with this. So I want to thank David Chaskin for being a part of this because not only was he – I mean it, there was a little bit of a back and forth to mm-hmm. make this happen – but he didn't put up any resistance. He really wanted to have this conversation, I believe. Um, and David Jaskin, by the way, for for our listeners, is the writer of Nightmare on Elm Street 2. There was a little bit, you know, obviously they had unresolved issues that had mm-hmm. been sprinkled at each other back and forth for many years. And so this was something that the confrontation is not always easy for a lot of people. Yeah. But once you do it. It's it usually just flows. Yeah. Um, it was uh, as you saw, not easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a it was a very intense conversation that we had to really edit down. So you know, I would love to see, and not even in a shady way. I would love to see the full conversation to see the more um, explicit parts of of the conversation because I. Again, I don't want to give too much away for people who <laughs> haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, I really had a lot of respect for Mark for being so forward about 
his experience. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of respect for David for being open to the conversation. Well, so I think that the thing to remember is David was – what David and Mark had to talk about is important only in that they needed to actually converse. Mm-hmm. But as a viewer, I think it's important for us to realize that like I think that for a lot of us, we don't really get those conversations. Um, and you kind of just have to – first of all, with 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 this whole thing, I think what David is guilty of is not – I don't think he intended it, but there is – when you green light that kind of com- – you, you – <laughs> it's it's a lot. It's a, it's a very passionate topic for me because I think that a lot of the people that are online calling Mark a fag were basically told when they read an article, even if you mean it as a joke and you're like, oh, yeah, that that gay movie, it was meant to be homophobic. They should play it in a in a church, a conversion camp. OK, yeah. you might not think that's serious, but a 100 kids who read it are mm-hmm. think that's funny and repeat it. And so I think that that's like – so that's where Mark has to like step across the aisle and say, listen, this is what happens when you do that. We are responsible for how we – how we – how people hear us and how they respond to that. So you got to choose your words wisely. So saying it's just a joke is going to hurt a lot of other people. And so I think that that's – it's important that they kind of both – I wouldn't expect him to understand that because he didn't grow up like Mark did. Yeah. So I think that the conversation was really important for that. So that's my long-winded answer. What about Same. you? Same. Same. <laughs> Did I? No, I, no, I remember that day being really tense, and they hadn't seen each other in 30 years. Mm-hmm. Mark is waiting out in the car while we're interviewing David first, and it was like an hour-and-a-half conversation in the middle of January. And then it, for some act of God, it was just like a hailstorm started. <laughs> so we had to Jesus. stop filming and let it pass because it was so loud. And then, so now he's in the car for three hours. Oh my god! And, in a hailstorm, <laughs> and he's you know he's preparing to like say other things that he has been holding on to for so long. And so he kind of he comes in and a tense moment is like made even more tense by mm-hmm. by the situation. They have and, to just sit and stare at each other. And then in, the, in like the, the big moment where he kind of says the thing that he needs to say the tape runs out in the camera and we have to just like tell everyone to stop and just like stay where they are while we change tape and the cameras come back on it's been about two three minutes of sitting in this suspended tension and i feel like a change happened at that point whereas he couldn't really react in a way that you might when you hear those things mm. instead he like had a moment to think about what he, he was going to do with next. It for a second. Yeah. exactly and he i feel to like take a breath. exactly and i feel like that allowed for the outcome to happen so maybe it is kind of a blessing in disguise the the horror gods were like right. were they were like here have a hailstorm here you're out of tape yeah. <laughs> right right somewhere the ghost of west craven is like reeling the tape <laughs> right. Love her. i think i think for mark this was obviously very 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 important mm-hmm. in that you got to say what you has been sitting there but i think also as you realize like 
that was just letting go and dealing with the bigger issues at mm-hmm. that point. Right. So it's very – it's important to be able to kind of like have these – had he been able to have this conversation a long time ago, he would have been able to move on and, and deal with other things along the way. So I had and – I, and I like to bring up this point like throughout the entire production, Mark was never in on – what we were doing and making demands, no vanity requests, nothing like that. Like, oh, I don't like the way I look there. Mm. Or I, I want he, the- he likes to tease me a lot. He's like, there are two shots in this movie that I absolutely hate, but I will never tell you to take them out. <laughs> like, well, Has he told you which ones? <laughs> no. I don't even know which ones. Uh. No, but that's, I admire that. That's yeah. awesome because he knew that this story was more important than any silly thing. Than like his that. moment. I mean, I, yeah. I'll, I'm going to assume that's why. But, <laughs> but but as filmmakers, that means we were completely untethered, right. which is awesome. There, we did a few edits of this, and he, he watched one rough cut, and he was kind of defeated. We were kind of defeated in the sense that like we hadn't quite got the tone right. We hadn't mm. quite put all the things in the right place, and that was super hard. This is about halfway through the five years it took us to finish this. And then about a year or two later, he came back and we we were really confident that we had cracked it, that we had everything in the right place. And he wa- he came over to my apartment. He watched it in my office and the movie's done and over. And he's just like, s- broke down and started crying and like sobbing. And Roman's like, well, the, oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think? And I'm like, like I hand him a box of Kleenex, and I'm like, just let him have this moment. And he's <laughs> just like, after he like, kind of collected himself, he's like, I'm human. Like you made me human. And I think that was the greatest thing that we were hoping for. We were trying to capture what he was feeling, and present him in a very honest way and for him to watch what we had done and be like I, that's what i wanted to say it's what i've been trying to say and you you got it right i'm so glad to hear that because if if nothing else i'm glad that mark came away from this experience feeling like s- some sense of conclusion to this chapter and i hope that moving forward, it's going to be on to the next great thing for him. Because I, 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 the movie really does make you love Mark. Right. And, and it, it makes you hope for just the best for him and for everyone who is featured in, in the film. So, uh, <laughs> and you, uh, you're hopeful for the next generation, too, who gets to have their, you know, gay proms and their... Yeah, the out gay actors. But I feel like for someone like me as well. So we've given Mark his voice, and for me, I'm like, yeah, I loved go watching like Once Bitten mm-hmm. in the drive through with my dad sitting next to me while they're making gay jokes throughout the whole thing. <laughs> like I feel like I need to put it out there and make those stupid things like those movies. They need to be held accountable. Like we, I yeah. love the '80s. I always will. There's a lot of shit that needs to be pointed out so it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Like that shit wasn't funny. No, it's not. And and it's good that we can say, here's what I love about this movie. Here's the way we can make it better. Mm-hmm. Instead of just saying, well, we have to love it as a total package right. without taking the pieces we don't like out of it. I think that's fair. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, it's not council culture. It's just like, hey, let's just be real. Because, like, I do think that a lot of people need to admit, like, oh, shit, I wasn't even aware how I was, like, stomping on someone else, you know? Mm -hmm. That's it. It's always an opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So we are just about at the end of the podcast. Oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't bring this up. I'm so mad at myself. Uh, I'm sorry, it's too late. <laughs> they're like, listen, we have to go. Uh, I I was doing some research uh, before we, we came, and you worked on Wrinkles the Clown. I did, yeah. Roman, you worked on Wrinkles the Clown. Uh, David just watched it the other night. Isn't and was it like, awesome? He was it's like, so you have, I haven't I seen it yet. It. I haven't oh, seen oh. it yet. Uh, but he said it was so, so good. And I, it's like, that it's, is... It scared me. He said it was scary because he watched. I he I go to work late at night, obviously, yeah. and I and my husband is just like left at home alone watching horror movies. Do you keep your clown mask out for him to to notice? No, I bring it with me <laughs> so that when I walk walk back in the door, he has something to surprise him. Hey, uh, <laughs> sexy. Uh, I'm very excited. I'm putting that on my. That's uh, one of my like. Mm. That's one of my. That's on my list. I'm ready to go watch. I'm very. It. I. I Absolutely love that movie. They did such an amazing job. I remember when we were still working on our stuff when I was doing that one, and I and I was like, "Damn, they got this story so great!" Like yeah. it's really. Sc- they also had an amazing team doing sound design. So there's there's some montage bits that are truly some of the most scary moments of any <laughs> movie I've seen. The way it was put together, you know, sound will do that. Yeah, and and work. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that the, Wrinkles is fantastic. Um, those guys did such a great job. So. I'm very excited to watch it. And it's it's like you said, we we talked about this, especially with like movies like Insidious. Mm-hmm. The audio and the music is like a character in the movie, and so we we love the element of of audio in in well, our sound movie. is feeling. It is, yeah. So that's that's where you get everything. Mm-hmm. Like something can jump out at you, but it's the sound that scares you. And not even a jump scare. Just like things you don't even know you're hearing. Low frequencies, swells and drones. Things that make you feel isolated and alone. That you don't realize are there. Mm. That's what makes you feel the scariest. And then you pair that with great lighting. <laughs> the whole thing. It's so interesting to talk to to people who like... Do it for a living. And, do and, it. To, and, to, and to hear your takes on it. Mm. So I have a question for you before we go. Do you guys like games? Of course. Do you want to play a game? <laughs> uh, I was like, is that two on the head? Uh, uh, is it truth or dare? No. We usually, we like to play games on this on this podcast and we play a game. It's kind of a, a staple on the show. It's called good trope, bad trope. Mm. And, uh, uh, basically the way it works is that we will read a trope from the horror genre, specifically, uh, whatever movie we're talking about and we'll flip a coin and one of us has to defend it. And one of us has to, uh, tear it down. Interesting. So we thought if you're interested, we could play good trope, bad trope. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'll it's try. Ca- it's kind of an exercise, and like, can I put myself in in these other <laughs> shoes? Okay. So we have two. Uh, we have two questions. Should we play as teams? 
we can either play as teams or if we just want to have them play and sit this one out. Oh, that would be fun. Okay. Yeah, we're going to sit this out. You get to fight each other. Oh my God, it's I like a debate. <laughs> it's it like, kind of is. Actually. It's like a peek into into Super your Tuesday. life as So roommates. this is good because he's actually like the more studious nerd with this stuff and I'm like the dismissive bitch. So let's see what happens. <laughs> oh God, okay. I got something to say. Do you, yeah. do you want to read the first question, Sam? Uh, sure. So this is the first question, and one of you will have to defend it as a trope, and one of you will have to tear it down. So essentially, and this is actually something that gets talked about in Scream Queen a bit, is the idea of homosexuality as the real monster in a movie. Right. So let's say Tyler's going to go first. Okay. We're going to flip a coin. If you get heads, you have to defend this trope and say that it, why it's good. And if you get tails, oh, okay. you have to say why it's terrible. So good news, bad news. Uh, I don't have a coin, so we're gonna. Flip. You have, oh, you have that. Yeah. I thought we were gonna have to flip a tea no. a tea packet that looks like no, a condom. No. <laughs> Doesn't it? Why do you tea have to go condom. after my tea? <laughs> that sounds like another game. <laughs> All right, so we have a coin. Uh, Tyler, you're the first up. Heads, you have to defend it. Tails, you have to tear it down. Okay. Tails, you have to tear, tear down, down homosexuality um, as the subtextual monster. It is, you know, it has no place in horror films today because gay people have made strides and we're not supposed to be afraid of gay people anymore. And is this how this is done? I have no idea. <laughs> no, you can okay. go as long can or go as short as you want. Yeah, no, don't do it. Wait, do, I, do I come back in with the same <clears throat> one or no? You have you the same question, but you have, you have to pro, defend it. Oh. The pro and you're the con. Yeah, I was not a good debater in high school. Do you want to switch then? Uh, <laughs> yeah, why don't you? Because you always, you always were pro all this stuff when I was like, mm-mm. Okay, yeah, I can, I'm, I'm not good at starting things. I'm good at finishing them. <laughs> all right, well, I initiate well. So this is, this, is, this is why I would say it's a con, is that we haven't finished that fight yet. You don't get to enjoy it at my expense. Mm. So... Using that, like we always have, has allowed people, it has ignited people's fear in that monster and kept it alive. So fuck that. Go. <laughs> um, oh man, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. And this is a particularly tough one right. to defend. Homosexuality is a monster. Um, well, why do you like Nightmare 2? As a historical relic? Well, do you like the movie itself? Um, I, like, I like that you I called like, it a historical relic. Well, it, right. <laughs> I mean, the thing that I, I find very fascinating is because of what the movie is, because it came out in the time period it did, and how it uses homosexual as the monster, and that you're witnessing it through the person who's coming to terms with the fact that they are gay, mm. or that they have a monster inside of them that comes out and only kills the people it's sexually attracted to, which is only men, which is only men in this movie are being sexualized. Do you think, so is, do you think is, there's scary parts of that movie, effectively? I feel like the fear that is represented applies to gay people, and they know that moment when they kind of understand that they're left of center in, a, in, in an environment that maybe will react negatively to that. So are you arguing that with homosexuality as the subtextual monster, it kind of blossoms through the, the, the character that they are essentially, I'm, I'm 
totally putting this argument <laughs> together in my right, head as I'm telling right. it. Uh, I think what what you're saying is that the the queerness is the monster, but then by defeating it, they're not defeating their homosexuality. They're defeating their bad feelings about their homosexuality. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I don't think that's what the film does. I think that would be a good thing if they were mm. breaking that down. I feel like through the ending of the film with that, you know, the love of a good woman can make any gamian straight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I'll, you know, get married. I'll date a woman and my my gay fear will go away. Yeah. Which we know that doesn't happen. No. And at the same time, I find, I find that interesting that you could t- have a horrific coming out story you know how we had lots of talks we debated everything right and i was always being trying to be very protective of certain people and their experiences in the past not just mark but just gay people in general right and i was very like reserved about certain things like don't i don't want to portray like when, especially when we're talking about the sexuality of the 70s and yeah. in the early 80s and how there was this liberalism to that and i was like okay but is that off topic i don't there's still a stigma with our sexuality out there. Right. And you right. didn't have as much of that as I did. Right. And you were like, no, this is this is what we talk about. This is what it is. And and I feel like that is kind of in uh, parallel to what we're talking about now. Like, I still feel like we haven't solved that problem. I'm still protecting us as a whole. And you might feel like, well, but that's kind of a cool thing. Why can't a monster be that way? Or not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I could see that being two sides of well, it. Well, like, I, I see this, in, especially in the context of our film, through the character of Bill, when he's talking about his his own coming out and watching... The only gay people he knew were on television. Mm-hmm. The nightly news that were dying, that were horrific, that were, you know, the root of all they were, the problems yeah. in society. And if you're absorbing that kind of content... And you're coming to the terms of the fact that, oh, I'm gay too. Am I the monster that they say I am? Mm. Like, does that I find is very fascinating to think about homosexuality as the monster that society has created. Says that there so are it's like you're a monster because I say you're a monster. Right. Okay. And if, if you're realizing that you are a gay person and if gay person means monster, w- how do you deal with the fact that, oh, my God, am I turning into a monster? Mm. It's It affects your your trajectory. Right. But as a, so as a trope, do you think that that's helpful at this time? Helpful? No. Is, okay. it, is it worthy of See, investigating? He, he, Absolutely. he can't pro this. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> can't. no. I would say that as a trope, that I think the closest you can come to defending it is by saying that uh, either what you said, which is, you, I'm a monster because you say I'm a monster and I'm not actually a monster. Or what I was saying earlier about uh, the idea of defeating the idea of your homosexuality being a monster, which very few movies actually <laughs> did. <laughs> right. I, I think this is a Wild West situation where yeah. like now we're ready for, for these stories, but we haven't up until now. Yeah. It, the homosexuality isn't the monster. It's the stigma to homosexuality. Exactly, yeah. Uh, like, we can be monsters in movies once we get it out of the way that we aren't because we're gay. Yeah, that you're not inherently a monster, but you could be a monster in a movie 
once we've come to terms with our with homosexuality in our culture. Yeah. That's fair. Cool. All right. Question number two. <laughs> oh God. Um, the trope of the homophobic asshole in the movie or TV show turns out to be some flavor of queer oh. themselves. Oh. Wait, I've chosen my side. Wait, you get to flip again. <laughs> no, no. Okay, you no, flip no, no, again. No, we'll do it. We'll do it the right way. We'll play it as a game. Go. You got the one he wanted anyway, I think. Oh, you you are tearing down. Good. <laughs> okay. So you do you want to go? You're going to start. You're going to start. Oh, right. He likes to finish. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have I I have the this is something I think about a lot. It bothers me a lot and mm-hmm. and I I'm not fully realized with all of it yet, but it is extremely problematic in the fact that like I'll be looking at Facebook and there'll be a post about some pastor who's doing something that everyone's like, oh, he's probably gay. And it's gay people saying like, oh, he's just got to come out and all this stuff. I'm like, maybe that's true. That seems to happen a lot. It's definitely a situation that happens. Mm -hmm. But why are we so like comical about talking about this? Because this is serious. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the world, yeah, I mean, I'm still perceptive about the way people see us. And I don't really like the fact that we're viewed as that troubled. But some of us are. So I think it's I think it's kind of a, a slippery slope. We, we talk about, oh, you're... you're you are this way and and it's because you're hiding that you're gay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true, but that shouldn't be like the go-to character here. I I hear you talk and then I'll <laughs> <clears throat> I think the trope is good in the sense that anyone who's super homophobic is then outed as like well, you think that cuz you don't like it about your own self. Mm-hmm. And if like, that's your cross to bear. It doesn't have to be my problem. It points the finger in the right direction. Right. Like, if you're going to protest too much, like, okay. <laughs> I guess it does halt the bullying a little bit. Right. If, if, it, if it gives an explanation, like, actually, it's not about me at all. It's about you. Mm-hmm. I guess I just view it as it kind of goes back into the queer as a monster situation mm. where it's like, yeah, but... You don't get to you don't get to claim that because you made us into this. Yeah, I'm talking to straight. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I was like, like my gosh. Really so again, me. I'm very defensive about this. I, I just feel like that's kind of like it's 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 fine, but it's like after after so many decades of this, the joke is it's it's a serious thing that's going on. Mm-hmm. So I don't like it being joked about or so easily dismissed as like, oh, he's gay. It's like, well. If what what's going on can do that to somebody, mm-hmm. that's a big deal. It's serious. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, I pretended to like girls and I tried to date a few. <laughs> it's like, no, you're doing harmful things to yourself or other people. Like, that's, that's traumatic. And I, I think it also, not to turn this into a full-fledged conversation, but uh, <laughs> I also think it does kind of... It's it's similar to the conversation we're having about um, people who have mental health problems who commit, you know, atrocities. And it's like, well, but there are so many people who have mental health uh, 
problems that don't commit atrocities. It it you are not you don't do these things because of these right. things. You do these things because of your reaction. It's to dismissive these to the actual problem and and where it's coming from. Exactly, yeah. and it does it. It's kind of assigning blame to something that does not deserve the blame. Right for the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's a good fair. that's a good question. These are these are it's interesting to see. <laughs> right. I do like what you said cuz putting that out there sort of puts the dialogue out there that like right. hey, you know what, uh, you maybe, you know, maybe some stupid jock is going to watch these things enough times to realize like, oh, every time I say that, people think that I'm the one with the problem. So, right. it could be helpful, but if as if the self-awareness was not the problem to begin with well yeah you can't you the only thing you can do is bully a bully you can't you can't reason with them a lot of the time like you can't expect empathy it might change on their own but it's like the only thing you can do is make it socially unacceptable it's very rare that you actually have someone really make a change of heart in the moment i think is what it comes you just have down to, to make them afraid to do so or like that their friends aren't gonna think it's okay hmm. essentially socially unacceptable well, that's a great place to, to end that. Yeah. <laughs> so, kids, go home and make sure that you embarrass your bullies. The bullies, bullies. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, thank you guys so much for for joining us for this episode. Uh, when and where can everyone see March third, Tuesday? The DVD, the digital downloads come out. Um, what else? Uh, we have a. Uh, a few screening dates. We're playing tonight in Buffalo. We're playing this weekend in LA. And a few more dates are coming as well. I don't have. You look at me. Dates. I don't know any yeah. of this stuff. <laughs> I find out when we're playing the day of. Yeah, so you do know. still have screenings coming up. You said. Uh, you said you're in Buffalo. Tonight, tonight, and Saturday. Well, this will this will air on Thursday, so it'll it'll be in Buffalo on Saturday. <laughs> Buffalo. Just go to the theater. Just ask for it. Yeah. yeah, just request it. Go Where? to your local movie theater. Right, right. Wait, uh, Buffalo's a festival? Uh, no, it's um, it's a theater. Yeah. Oh, cool. Are okay. you going to all all of the showings? I wish we could. I know. <laughs> I know. Mark is going to the LA shows. Oh, this that's weekend. cool. So he'll be doing Q and As Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Oh, that's. Ex- I wish I could go to LA this weekend. <laughs> it's gonna so be fun. Yeah. They they've got that whole thing for for the soundtrack that will be out by the time this comes out. Oh, very cool. And uh, where can where can people buy the DVD or or the digital copy? Amazon, iTunes, <laughs> uh, Amazon Prime, Target.com, um, others. Yeah, places. just I don't know all of those places. Wherever you buy your physical media. <laughs> Behind the curtain at the blockbuster. Amazon, Amazon's the easiest, I (laughs) guess, but it's all over the place. I know. Not everyone wants to support Amazon. I'm trying to find other smaller mom and pop shops. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Kids, please uh, check out Scream Queen My Nightmare on Elm Street. You can get a digital copy or you can get a uh, DVD copy. Are there going to be Blu-rays? Not well, yet. We're Not working yet. on it. Not yet, but we're working on it. It's in production. We're actually uh, carving them ourselves here mm-hmm. while we're recording. The I'm lines. setting the dice. <laughs> <laughs> so check it out, please. It is definitely worth uh, the watch. I really enjoyed it. I know Sam did as well. So until next time, stay spoopy and remember. <laughs> I'm so scared. Jesse, what are you talking about? He's inside me. I'm scared. Jesse, who is doing this to you? Fred Cr-
Krueger. He's inside me, and he wants to take me again. My Spooky Gay Family features music by Nate Walker, artwork by David Elon, and this episode contains clips from Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, distributed by New Line Cinema 1984. Please subscribe on iTunes, leave us a nice message, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. My Spooky Gay Family is a product of Barbara Duel Productions. Barbara Duel.